Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Devil's in Detail podcast, our first of 2019. We are on a little bit of an extended hiatus, but we are back and is now basketball season, not football anymore. My name is Trevor Boot, joined alongside Zach Bacale and Richard Giraffo. Guys, how are we doing today? Pretty fantastic. How are you doing, Zach? How are you doing, Trev? I'm ready to talk some hoops. I don't know about you guys. Let's do it. So right now it's Thursday, and we're going to talk about yesterday's game. Wednesday night, ASU took on Cal. It was their first Pac-12 row game of the season. And guys, Sun Devils went down early. They were in a 14-point deficit, didn't look so good on the offensive end, but then came back in the second half, ended up winning by 14. So, Zach, I'm going to start with you. What were your impressions from that game? I think the biggest thing you take from that game is the importance of ball movement. Early, it, the very early goings of that game looked very similar to Utah. A lot of shots being taken early in the clock, very lazy defense, a couple of bad turnovers and quit and run, leading to runouts. It's just a lot of the things that Bobby Hurley mentioned after their first loss of conference play as things that they can't afford to do if they want to be the conference champions. So, I mean, but then it obviously, obviously things turned, as we saw. Remy Martin takes over. Zylan Cheatham chips in with a good game. It's just they, can't, they have to start, I mean, as they get into the depth of their schedule, they can't afford to ha- keep having these slow starts. And Rich, what for you? What did you notice from that game? Well, like Zach just said, you know, the slow starts are definitely a problem for this team because they either come out hot, they either come out slow. But my biggest takeaway, really, it's kind of a trend that we noticed the last few games. Zylan Cheatham is active on offense now. He's not just being a distributor. He's not just being a pick-and-roll man anymore. Now he's actively trying to actually get buckets. We saw it a few games ago. We had, what, 15 two nights ago, 12 the night before, 17 last night. So he's really making a concerted effort to put more offensive burden on on himself beyond the playmaking. That's something that's kind of sticking out to me because, truthfully, we didn't expect that. But as we've seen, he's starting to become capable of it, and we'll see where that goes. I mean, last night you go against Cal, you know, whatever, it's Cal. They're not fantastic per se, but every time he's had a big scoring game, it's ended up in some kind of mixed result for ASU. He's had a few 15-plus point games and only like one or two wins, last night being one of them. So we'll see. But that's my biggest takeaway, that this offense is changing, it's evolving, and different guys are starting to step up. And, guys, that's been the huge thing with the team having injuries at the beginning of the year. Remy Martin was out. Rob Edwards is out. Everyone's kind of starting to find their rhythm within the offense. And when ASU is now going against a lot of 2-3 zone, that's something that Coach Bobby Hurley is probably practicing. They're starting to work through together. And last night there was, as Zach mentioned, a lot of kind of not the best ball movement and things weren't moving and they weren't flashing to the high post like they were against Colorado. But they were able to figure it out and they were able to put it together. So, guys, we talked a little bit about Remy Martin. We'll go into a little bit more about him here. 24 points and 8 assists last night, the second time in three games that he set a career high in points, and the second straight game where he posted 8 assists. What's impressed about him? For me, the biggest thing with Remy Martin is what the second part of what you just said, his assist total. 8 assists in two straight games. Now, I'm not sure if either of you know about this, but after Utah, there was apparently a secret film session, just team and Coach Hurley as... Obviously, none of us were there, but um, yeah. three, a three-hour three session where they broke down the film and Coach Hurley individually singled out the mistakes and flaws of each player, if, if I'm not mistaken. And from that, it, sounded, it looks like Remy Martin took it the hardest. I mean, you saw him have a career high against Utah. They lose by double digits. The next night, he doesn't score against Colorado career high or season high, excuse me, in assists. And then... You get, the, you get the best of both worlds against Cal where he does both, career high and a season high in assists. So 
it just shows when he, when the ball is moving and Remy Martin's the source of that flow, everyone's playing better. And for you, Rich, with Remy, what, what do you think he's a starter now? Do you think that's something that he can go into now that we've seen these kind of performances from him? I mean, yeah, like Remy, yes, he's a starter. He's a starter-capable player, but the real question, it's not if he is capable of doing it. It's if he should be doing it. Because it seems every time Remy Martin comes off the bench, this team benefits in multiple ways. You know, he's the, one of the most high-energy guys that we've ever really seen play basketball in general. You, every now and then you have these spark plug guys who move quick, they act quick, they think quick, they play quick. And Remy Martin is one of those guys. So those guys coming off the bench, specifically Remy, the former co-Pac-12 Six Men of the Year, I think this is his home. Honestly, I think you keep bringing him off because it just adds a new dynamic to not necessarily the second unit because I feel like this team is too talented to have a first and second unit. It's really just a conundrum and a mix match of talent everywhere. But when you bring Martin off the bench, you get that second win after your first initial push. So truthfully, I'm on team keep Remy on the bench, not because, you know, he's not playing well, but because he just fits that role so uniquely. It's an uncanny energizer bunny state that he brings off the bench I think that's the move yeah and that's been kind of the argument we've seen in the past people wondering why Daquan Lake maybe wasn't in the starting lineup and Remy Martin too but at the same time you have to get that energy off the bench because if you don't have a good start like ASU did last night you're going to have that second win you're going to have Remy Martin to come in kind of get things going on the offensive end and be one of those leaders and him being adjusted to that role that just only increases his effectiveness in it and another source we saw last night, Bobby Hurley made the third lineup change in the past three games, and Lugan Stort was back in the starting lineup last night. And for the second straight game, he posted 50% shooting from the field, and it was the first time he'd done that since November. So guys, is, is Luz kind of starting to figure things out after he kind of had a little bit of his struggles in the past couple games? Uh, you know, truthfully, I don't know if it's as much Lou figuring it out or if it's more Bobby putting him in, in more player-friendly situations because truthfully we all know that the kid can play we all know he's got the talent he's got the skill he's got that drive that muscle that everything you want in a basketball player but the one thing he doesn't have is that polish right so I feel a lot of loose progress coming back is really taking the hand, the ball out of his hands and letting other players create more opportunity for him because when he's bringing the ball up yes he can be effective in the lane but also he takes a lot of dumb layups he goes up, he loses his control. There's three, four guys there, and he never really is able to pass out of it. So I think this is more Bobby Hurley putting him in player-friendly situations where Lou is able to work off of the flow of the offense rather than you know, actually forcing things as we saw him do early in the season. I don't know if I'd really necessarily call them dumb layups as much as that he's a freshman and he's still learning. More, That's more, what I mean. More along with what you said with polish. But I think, I think Lou Dort shooting 50% in a game and finishing with only 13 or 14 points is fine. This is a freshman who, it, yes, it sounds like he may go to the NBA after a year, but that's a door that still has not been closed or opened all the way. That He's still got a lot of basketball left to play at Arizona State. And as his coach, Bobby Hurley, his job is to put Dort in the best position to succeed. And like you said, getting him off the ball is the best way to do that. He can't really create. He's not a great creator. We saw him do it very well against Kansas with five assists. But at the same time, seeing him in positions where he's got more energy on the defensive end, where he can stick with a guy deeper in the clock, doesn't necessarily need to give up because he's pressuring full court, or and, and he's going into the lane every possession. Getting him his shots, letting him play organically, that's, that's the best way for him to, to grow. 
And we know Lou Dort is a scorer, and he's going to try to get his. And as you mentioned, Zach, he's not the greatest creator. So for him, it's got to be finding effective shots and working through these zones and trying to find a rhythm there. So now we'll move on to Arizona State's tournament prospects. Right now, we mentioned the Sun Devils are 11-4 and and 2-1 and in Pac-12 play. As of now, they're the only Pac-12 school with over with three Quadrant 1 wins. That might change a little bit after Utah State losing to Fresno State. So guys, what do you think ASU has to continue to do? What do you think their record has to be in order to be safe when the NCAA tournament time comes? Well, you know, the biggest thing with them, is that with these new net rankings, Trevor, you and I have probably have gone crazy a number of times looking at these things throughout the course of the season already, but um, ASU just needs to worry about themselves. And I think to some extent, you see a loss to Princeton, Quadrant 4 loss at home, as this terrible loss, when very well Princeton could end up being the Ivy League champion. So, I mean, there's still, granted, there's still months of basketball to be played, and we don't know where that'll be, where, where the Tigers will be necessarily. We do know the Sun Devils need to finish with roughly 12 to 14 wins in conference to be safe come Selection Sunday. Now, can they do it? I think they absolutely are capable. Will they? That's a question to be that. De- 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 that's the million-dollar question. Right, and Rich, what do you think the ASU is? There's not a lot of quality wins left to get in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. just because of how the uh, conference underperformed in non-league play. Yeah, so with that being said, the fact that the Pac-12 is as down as it is right now, you just got to handle business. And we've seen ASU not necessarily be able to handle their business so far. They play up and down to the competition. That's their main fault, I think, at least for this season. So as they're going forward... You have to get these guys while they're down. While UCLA is down, while USC is down, you have to get double-digit win after double-digit win if you really want to secure that reputation that they had at the beginning of the year. Now, with this team, I think they can do that. I truthfully do. I think once they find that consistency, something they've been finding the last couple of games on the offensive end, the defensive end, starting to get more of a flow off of a more balanced attack and defensive effort, once you get in the tournament, this team, you never know. I mean, you never know. It's the beautiful time of March where anything can truly happen. But to get there, they just got to handle their business. They got to take advantage of some programs that are down right now. And they got to come out on top of what we thought they were going to be preseason. And it's almost like a mental thing, right? You can go from the high of beating a team like Kansas to the low of beating Prince or to the low of falling to Princeton just like that. And when you're going into all these games where teams don't necessarily have great resumes, they're all must wins. Can that play in a negative effect, actually? Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen it so far. The reason ASU's not ranked right now, they keep playing down. They keep losing and giving these teams who should not even be on the same floor as them a chance to win. And sometimes, yes, even the win. So that is something, if they if, you know, if they just skirt by three-point win, two-point win, six-point win, two-point loss against UCLA, USC, Oregon, Oregon State, which is ter- slowly turning into one of my favorite Pac-12 teams, might I add. But if they're just skirting by with some regular average wins, it's not going to bolster anything. It's just going to be like, okay, this Arizona State team is okay. They're from the Pac-12. They win the tournament. They get in, sure. But nobody's going to expect anything. So if they just let these guys hang around, it could very well negatively impact them, I think. Yeah, and Zach, if you're Coach Bobby Hurley, how do you handle that? Because if you're looking at that from a specific number standpoint, all these opponents, you can't really gain a whole lot, but you need to beat them in order to stay close. So how do you encourage that with your team? I mean, there comes a point where encouragement only goes so far. I mean, this is on Hurley now. I mean, he's, what, year four of of this contract. He's done just about everything that fans could want. 
turn the team around. I mean, when, I, when my first year here was Hurley's first year here. The team had 50, was under 500, 15 wins, and just five of them came in the conference. I mean, he's yet to win more than eight games in Pac-12 play. That says something. You need to establish your territory in this conference. Yes, it's down. Yes, there are a lot of good players that were expected to be contributors this season that are not. But Arizona State needs to, one, win on the road, where they, can, where they tremendously struggle, and two, win games that they're supposed to. If you, if you come up short a few times against the teams that are competitive and you maybe split it, and it's maybe a split in terms of losing to Oregon or UCLA or in Arizona, I, the committee can overlook that knowing that Arizona State handled itself by dominating a Utah, dominating a Colorado, dominating a Cal. I mean, the teams that they know they have to beat. So there's no, there's no, there's no encouragement for Arizona State. It's more... The time is now. This is the best team. You're going to lose Lou Gensdort likely to the NBA next season. Zylan Cheatham and Daquan Lake graduate. This is the most collective group they have capable of making a tournament run this early in Hurley's career. Right, and now you we talked a little bit about winning on the road, and you said you did the research. It's 34 straight weeks or that they haven't won on the road. 34 consecutive conference weeks. Yeah. yeah, 34 consecutive conference weekends. So we're not counting the Arizona series because that's just one game. Or trip to Tucson, excuse me. Um, but 34 times they've now gone on the weekend, not counting this weekend. There's still a chance at that. Uh, we'll get to it. Yeah. Um, but 34, 34 straight trips on the road where they have either split or been swept. And I believe the number is 18 splits to 16 sweeps. So it's pretty close there. That's a big one. And this they have a chance to do it this Saturday but they might have to do it without Zylan Cheatham. He's, we don't know his status, but he's going to be available for Saturday. ASU will have to go in and play Stanford, who put up a good fight against Arizona last night. Arizona hasn't lost a game in Pac-12 play. So, if guys, if Cheatham is unable to go, how is, you, how is ASU going to have to stop KZ Opala from Stanford? Well, you know, you have one of two options. I mean, you can go to a zone and hope for the best. Stanford's not particularly a great three-point shooting team, so you have that luxury of knowing that if Opala is going to go in the paint, then the people that, that he's kicking it out to are their bigs. Oscar Da Silva, Josh Sharma, who are very spotty three-point shooters. You that, and, and if you're Arizona State, you take that. That's, that's a better option than going man, trying to let Kamani Lawrence defend, who's clearly not big enough or fast enough to stick with Opala. Or you're, and, you're, and for me, the other option is a bit of a reach, and that'd be throwing Lou Dort on him. I think if you put reinsert Martin into the starting lineup, he's more than capable of handling a guard like Dejon Davis. Both play very similar, very speedy guards, very quick. And knowing the way that Stanford turns the ball over, putting Dort on Opala would offer the opportunity for a lot of jump passes and a lot of transition opportunities. And Rich, Opala is one of the few guys in the Pac-12 that is one of those outstanding NBA prospects. He didn't hit a three-pointer when he had 29 points against Arizona last night. How would you defend him? How would, well, personally, if it were actually me defending Casey Opala... I wouldn't even try. I just turn around, I walk away because the guy's a phenom of athleticism. He really is. And but as we know, Arizona State has plenty of phenoms too. So I love Zach's idea of throwing Lou on him. That's what I think. You st- I think you ha- you start with that. Now, as the game goes on, you know basketball is a game of adjustment. So you could throw in a little bit of zone. You could throw two guys at him. You could throw Lou at him for extended periods of time. You could throw Remy at him just to get some different height. And you know, ultimately, if Zylan does play. Then you got a little bit of a favorable matchup because KZ is still going to get his, and 
you know, maybe he goes for 20 points, 18 points, like he usually does, getting to the rim, no problem. But what about the rest of the guys? You have all this defensive talent on your team. You could pretty much shut down the rest of the Stanford offense, no problem. So I think you trust Lou to take on KZ for at least a little while. You throw a little zone at him. You throw a little hedge at him. You throw a bunch of different defensive schemes. And then, really, you just try to shut down the rest of the team rather than Arkpala because basketball, as much as it is a one-man show where one player can take over, a player like Casey Akpala does not have the polish, the outside game, to completely take over a game. The bigger thing is he doesn't have the supporting cast. I don't think Davis, I think Davis, while he's exciting and he's also young, just a sophomore, they he turns the ball over more than he has. His assist-to-turnover ratio is the other direction. Worse than, you can't have that if you're a starting point guard at the Division One level, much less in the Pac-12. You've got, your bigs are Josh Sharma and De Silva, guys that are also very, non-traditional bigs. I mean, Sharma holds his own against big against talented bigs. De Silva's more kind of lurks out on the perimeter. I think if Apollo gets his, that's fine. You then, then you take away the secondary, the tertiary options that you know you can completely shut off from the offense. Yeah, and with a guy like that, the, the, the little basketball experience I had from playing a while ago is that you throw different looks at him and you make him uncomfortable that way because he is going to get his. He's just that good of a player, but if you can give him a little bit of zone rich, as you said, throw some different defenders on him, it'll make him think in what he has to do and he won't get to kind of read matchups and he'll have to constantly adjust and in that sense he can maybe overthink that and overplay that. So if ASU goes on to beat Stanford this Saturday, they would be 3-1 and one in Pac-12 play, and that would put them kind of toward the top of the standings. Right now we're taking a look at it. Arizona is the top dog. They're 3-0. and oh. They beat Stanford last night, and they'll play Cal this weekend. And then UCLA and USC are both 2-0. and oh. They play tonight, and they're going to kick off against the Oregon schools and then Washington and Oregon State right below them. So, guys, any of these teams, Rich, you talked a little bit about Oregon State and how they beat Oregon. They won the Civil War at Oregon. Is this a team that could potentially surprise down the stretch in league play? Truthfully, I really, I kind of like the Beavs. And a lot of it has to do, in fact, almost all of it has to do with Trace Takel. The guy is a prolific player. Like, really, he shoots at a high efficiency, scoring 20 points a game, eight rebounds, four assists. He's just orchestrating an offense, working a defense. He's got years of experience in this role. He's finally healthy. And he's really making an impact. We were just talking about it a minute ago, the impact a single player can have. Now, Tinkle, unlike Arpala and, and Dort, he has that polish. He has that experience to be able to actually dictate a game and control the pace and say, all right, guys, let's slow this down. Give me the rock. I'm going to create, and we'll see what happens. So truthfully, with guys like that, they got a, they've got a very, very tall front line, too. 6'11", Rokosovic, and Kyler Kelly, I believe his name is. He's seven foot tall, so they really have a lot of length in the back end. We've got Tinkle, they got the Thompson brothers, they got a lot of versatility across the roster, a coach with a lot of experience, a prolific player. I think as the season goes on, you could see Oregon State in the top four, top five of the Pac 12 rankings. So, I mean, truthfully, I got a lot of faith in them. Most people might not because of the history of the program, the history of the school's other athletics programs, but truthfully, it's basketball. It's a game of runs. I think when you have a player like Tinkle, you got a shot. And it's hard to, to judge things so little into the season. And right now, I don't know if there's any team that's maybe created separation. Zach, have you seen anyone that's maybe kind of separated itself from the pack or not yet? I mean, in the Pac-12, absolutely not. I, think, <laughs> I mean, I think every team's had, I think you had your preseason look where you thought Oregon was going to run with Bowl and Lewis King and returning guys like Pritchard and Paul White. That didn't work. UCLA was gutted with injuries before the season, losing O'Neal. Cody Riley missed an extended period of time with, with a broken orbital bone. 
early in the year. I mean, just the top the top of the conference is a mess. There's no there's no nice way to put it. I mean, the only team to me that that has shown a true sense of belonging at the top has been Washington. I think they defend well. They don't really have a true scorer. Noel's a little bit inconsistent. Dickerson's also inconsistent. But both, I mean, that team, any team that runs a 2-3 zone effectively and can keep the game, can dictate the pace of the game, always will have a shot. And I think that's what Washington does very well. Yeah, and to me, talking about surprise, it has to be for Arizona this year. And I know Sean Miller, they've won four of the last five Pac-12 titles. But to me, I got to go see this team at the Red-Blue game before the season, their little annual preseason game. And you could tell not only that they didn't have the talent, but they just didn't execute as well as the Arizona team would be. But so far in Pac-12 play, I've seen them defend, which is something Sean Miller, I'm sure, gets in them. And I don't know if a lot of other teams can defend like them. So surprisingly, they might be one of those teams that sneaks to the top of the Pac-12. And if ASU can maybe find its rhythm, it's going to maybe come down to the Arizona schools that could find a way to potentially win this league. I mean, absolutely. And I think any team that under Sean Miller does not defend well, I mean, last year was probably the weakest defensive team that we've seen Miller produce in the last decade, arguably. I mean, in the, that tournament game, there was no reason Buffalo should have been able to freely shoot the three as, as effectively as they did, but it was because they were just so they were so focused on Aiton in the middle there and kicking it out to their shooter their shooters offensively. They kind of lost track of the defense. This year's team, no Aiton, no Trier, no Alkins, none of the guy. All those guys are in the league now. This team is very team based, very focused on just fundamental basketball. They're working. They work to defend you they're we're going to defend you hard for 40 minutes try and outscore us and that's it's, it's becoming a very effective way to hang around the top of the conference right and rich they get a lot of their sources from three players in particular brandon randolph chase jeter and brandon williams do you think even though those guys provided a lot of the scoring at some point do you think that their lack of a bench maybe might hurt them part of me wants to say yes but then again sean miller's not playing a single player 30 minutes a game so I'm not too worried about it. I'm not too worried about the lack of a depth because if it does become a problem, you just bump the minutes for the Brandons and Jeter. That's all you got to do, honestly, because these guys are not playing a lot of minutes. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of room for growth. And yes, it will hurt in the short term, but ultimately in the long term, I don't think it'll hurt because when things, get, when things slow down, you rely on your best players. And Sean Miller really hasn't done that at all this season. So there's still this team has another side to it that we still haven't seen. Right. A lot of figuring out to going on. We'll see how they go. go. But this weekend, we'll move back toward ASU playing Stanford. We're going to go with predictions. Zach, your prediction and why? You know, every year you, you think, is this Arizona, how is this Arizona State team different? The first year it was, or from year one to year two, it was more perimeter play. They couldn't shoot the balls first season, in Hurley's first season. Next year, it was just it was still perimeter play. This year, it's the guard, it's the bigs, and I think the fact that they have balance inside and outside on the on this team gives them a shot against virtually anybody. At least in the conference, I don't know about the national scale. Clearly, Kansas would beg to differ, but I think this is the I think this team. The difference with this team is they can win on the road. I think they get it done. I think they break the streak. And I think they take care of Stanford, win by, we'll say a nine-point win for ASU. Nine-point win, all right. So that would break the 34 weeks that you did the calculation for. Rich, what about your prediction? I am seconding Zach's opinion. They are going to snap the streak. They will do it in a six-point fashion. 
in a rather simple matter, very simple game, not a lot of hero ball from anybody in particular. Probably going to lock it down on defense. Casey's going to go for, I'm going to guess 22. That's my guess. But uh, ASU's ultimately going to pull out the victory. I'm thinking something along the lines of 71-65. I'm going to be the loner here, and you guys aren't going to like me from this, but I think Stanford takes this one, 67-64, a very low-scoring game. And I'm just going to make this prediction, assuming Zylan Cheatham won't play. If he does play, it might things might be a little different for this. But if he doesn't play, I think Opala is going to have a really, or ASU is going to have a really hard time defending Opala and getting him away from the him from the rim and trying to do the things that he does. And it's been it's been a tough ride on the road, and it's been a tough ride for ASU to try to find the consistency that this team needs. And I just don't see it happening against Stanford. The back end, who knows? But that would be my prediction. I mean, Cheatham's. Cheatham's availability really will dictate, you're not wrong here at all, will dictate the outcome of this game. I think he's there, he defends Opala, they, they throw different looks at him, and they shut down the defense. I think Cheatham being there, they could win this game by double digits, and handedly, might I add, even if it's in Maple's Pavilion. Without him, I still think they have the capability to win, but I think it's a much more difficult win for ASU to pull out. And it's one of those games, Rich, it's the second straight opponent they're going to play that's under 500, so it's another one of those tough ones that they got to get motivated for at the same time. If you're going to turn it around and stop playing up and down to your opponents, these are the games you got to show and play up to. So we'll see with ASU. I think they'll play up this time. We'll see what happens. It's going to be Saturday at 4 p.m. ASU is looking to pick up their first road sweep in Pac-12 play in Bobby Hurley's tenure. Thank you guys for joining me today. This has been the Devils in Detail podcast. For Richard Girafro and Zach Kale. I'm Trevor Booth, and we'll see you next time.